Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best band book. Now, when you say band book, are you talking about a book about a band? Right, because like, yes. I brought a book about the Beatles. The is Foo that- Fighters. I brought a, I bought a, brought a book of actually about uh, Jack White uh, as a solo artist, so that might be ruled out. That also that. doesn't qualify. Yeah, that, that, <sighs> dang it. This is a fun play thing. on words. To help me are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Ian. Hi, Nick. I'm Joe Holshue. I'm a high school English teacher, and I today have brought the second most banished book Ooh. in America. Wow. It is called All Boys Aren't Blue. Written by George M. Johnson in 2020, and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, hello, uh, and welcome to Ian. Hello, Ian, and welcome to <laughs> Hi, you. Hi, Ian. And hello, and also to the Litheads. Those are the only people I'm greeting this morning. Uh, Not me? Nope. Sorry, Joe. Oh. You're, un- you're ungreeted. Uh, my name <laughs> today is Dr. Ian DeYoung. Uh, this week for Band Book Week, I brought a uh, second time returning champion, John Green's. Um, Looking for Alaska, which wow. is second time returning champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he won for a book about the Anthropocene reviewed. And I have accidentally oh, yeah, assigned John good. Green videos in my literature classes without realizing this is the same guy who wrote Fault in Our Stars and whatnot. So that's um, great. I'm excited to talk about this and about library truthberries and so on and so forth today. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> Is there, um, okay, are there, okay, how many pan books are there? <laughs> oh, okay, so this is, this is a thing. Everything has been banned, right? Like, anything that is popular has been banned at some point. So every once in a while, you see these articles where are like, oh, Harry Potter gets banned, or Twilight gets banned. I think people just ban books for uh, publicity sometimes, is what it feels like, right? They ban things that get, like, popular enough right and then like they seep into the public consciousness there's an internet rule something along the lines of if enough people see it someone's going to hate it something like that Mm, yeah and this is i think this is the basic truism that undergirds the banned book phenomenon everybody like if enough people get eyeballs on something it will be incredibly offensive and it's really really easy for reasons i'll talk about later in the podcast to get a book banned Mm -hmm. well and there are so many that like tiny little school boards and tiny little municipalities and anytime like they make the decision to systemically systematically ban a book from their libraries or whatever it is like it can make news. It's the sort of thing that gets that people write about. How do we get uh, too many butlers banned? <laughs> mm, that is the well, first we have to write it. Step one. Write yeah, too many I, think, butlers. I do Does think have to though, be published, though, to be fair, that a lot of people submit ban requests for books they haven't read. I think it takes it just one logical step further. Ban requests for books yeah. that don't exist. Uh, Nick, you asked a question. How do we get too many butlers banned? I actually have an answer for you. And I brought a game. It would now be an appropriate time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. This game is called Get Your Book Banned. Um, and I have a list of one, two, three, four, five, six. The six most common 
features that get books banned. And I thought it would be nice if we play it family feud style. So what I want to do is I want you to guess something, right? Um, I will tell you if it is on the board and we'll see if between the two of you, you can get all six features with three strikes only. Um, these were what the books were about or what the books contained that got them banned. Okay. okay. Got and it. so we, we, we win if we both, if we, if we work together, this you have to work together to come up yeah, with all six of them. Well, here we go. How, why would we work together mm. ever? Well, it's family feud style. <laughs> so it's like you against the board. Okay. Let's fuck right. it up, Ian. All right. Next, start us out. What, give me, give me something that, um, the subject matter of banned books. It's gotta be sex. Mmm, sex. Ding! It's on the board. 22% Kicking of books that were banned in that year contain sexual content. Nice job. Ian? Yeah, they don't like that one, do they? Mm-mm, no, people, turns out people don't like sex. Also <laughs> turns out people do like sex, so it's really tough. <laughs> Make up your mind. Mm-hmm. You know? Ian? Uh, I'm going to say obscenity along the in, in language, like dirty potty language, like pee, poop, and butts. Mm. Is pee poop and butts on the board, Joe? Uh, let's go to the board for pee poop and butts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, man. no, I'm sorry. Language? There is no pee poop butts or language really? on this um, on this list. Okay, Nick. So you, you can strike. say whatever you want in a book as long as there isn't a depiction. As long as there is well, no sex. Specifically, no pee pees, poo poos, or butt butts. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and so just to be clear, this is why. These are the most popular topics of uh, why books have been banned in 2022. Yes. For the books that were banned last year, these were the most common like content features of Mm -hmm. those books. Reasons that those books were banned. Um, Gotta be trans. Gotta put trans up there. Go to the board. Ding. Number one. 41% of books banned. 41 points. That's a a hot one. That's number one on the board, right? That is number one on the board. Yeah, 41% of books banned in 2022 were banned for LGBTQ themes, protagonist, or predominant sexu- uh, secondary characters or prominent secondary characters. Okay. So those were, those were distinguished from this book has sexual content because that, those something are, that are totally heard, separate from book has sexual content. In reading these, in reading these, these requests for bans, uh, which I managed to do quite a bit of the last couple, oftentimes those are kind of lumped together. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. a whole... It's all these things are um, okay. Look, can I all do the one? Devil work, absolutely, please. Race, ding, yeah, that is going to be um, nice. race or racism. That's I'm gotta be number two. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to check off two different for you because um, oh, yes. the first one is number two on the board: protagonists or prominent okay. secondary characters of color. Right? They, again, they don't get banned for that reason. This is a feature of banned books well well yeah right and not to be like nitpickier here or anything but uh th- that would not fly on on family feud i would need a, a more specific response from ian in order to qualify so not a big I'm deal sorry. it's I'm not sorry. a big deal uh, i'm sorry he I definitely said, would have um, checked off the number four answer on the board which is titles with issues of race and racism so those would be books that directly deal with race i should uh, directly said, deal with racism. I, I apologize i apologize to the lit heads and to apologize. you Nick. i, <laughs> I apologize to everybody here. <laughs> i should have said what is race and racism <laughs> that's funny that's a different game all right one more left on the board well there's one last one no, one no, last one on the board wait, wait, wait. hang on how wait. many other 
Well, okay, it's hard. There's two left on the board, but one of them uh, is biography, autobiography, apart. or memoir. And oh, I don't think okay, that's, that's really, yeah, yeah we've never got them. Okay. Yeah, we never okay. got it. So one more left on the board. Nick, swing for the fences. We've we still got two strikes. You got a lot of strikes left. I'm going to go, this might be too broad. History? Mm. Like rewriting history? Is that up there? Because uh, I, I, I've been hearing so a lot about that. <laughs> Do you know how in Family Feud, how there's always like a really bad guess and then the whole there's a pause and then the whole family is like, good answer, you're, you're good supposed answer, to say good, good answer. answer, Ian. No, no, I'm saying I hate the game because it makes me think sad thoughts about it. Anyway, yeah. good All answer. Right. I'm going to give you an X on that. No, that has nothing to do with history um, or rewriting history. Ooh. You have one strike remaining. Um. All right, Ian, I'm glad this is on you. Great. I think I think I think it's religion. <sighs> Let's go to the judges. I'm going to say ding. And the reason I'm going to say ding is because they likes a win. Nice. Yeah. So there is one on this list. It is the very bottom of this list. That is stories <laughs> with religious minorities is what is, will get you banned for something like 4% of books. Um, the higher one on this list that you missed is titles with themes of rights and activism. So like something that oh. deals directly with rights, something that deals directly with activism, wow. maybe something like um, how, to be an, how to be an anti-racist. Um, but you cannot have that. That will get you banned. Well, welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, as we call it, Strongly Podcast, where every week we pick a theme, and Ian and Joe, two high school English teachers, bring book recommendations. And just to upset one of them, we pick a winner. Gentlemen, you have um, some rules to keep you on track today. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. And rule number three, only winning matters. So please keep that in mind. Feel free to cheat, lie, steal, and do whatever you need to do to get ahead. That's, that's I would what like I would to do. go ahead and preemptively ban joe uh, <laughs> oh, that's joe joe it's a big see, brain move there's no oh, rule about no. it so joe, oh, you, you are a rule against that officially although banned. both of your books are banned so no that's true maybe i'm just describing it joe your your time has started <laughs> all right nick this book is a compilation of essays describing the author's experience growing up as a queer black kid in new jersey and it's written specifically for other queer black kids it contains mentions of sex masturbation profanity and it is the second most banned book in america at the moment uh, from the memories of getting his teeth kicked out by bullies at age five to flea marketing with his loving grandmother this young adult memoir weaves together trials and tramps face trials and tramps dang it faced by black queer boys childs and childs and trumps and trampolines <laughs> childs and trumps um is this this true or is this fake fiction in a lot no this is true this is truly true this is the this is the truest fiction there ever was no it's, it's a young adult memoir um so i can get into it but um yeah this is a memoir written specifically for young adults ian do you want to tell me about your book desperately the rough outlines of my book this week may sound trite familiar Nerd boy falls in love with beautiful girl. Tragedy strikes. Boy learns to cope and eventually starts to heal. But my book this week is far from cliche. It explores our perceptions of time, memory, friendship, and loyalty, and the afterlife. And somehow it ends on a hopeful note of healing and growth into the future. This week I read John Green's Looking for Alaska, 297 pages published in 2005. Does he find it? Not... Does he find Alaska? Well, uh, well spoilers. Only unavoidable spoilers, bud. Mm. Yeah. John Green, I think this is John Green's uh, breakout book. I think before yes, this, John was, Green was just kind of a lowly publishing assistant. 
it was his first, it was his first novel and, um, I, I can get into it, but, uh, it was, it was quite successful. And then he had mo- like more successful books after that. He's a, I think he's gotta be a very wealthy person. He, he's written some big ones. That sounds really interesting. Joe, do you want to start? <laughs> yeah, I would love to start. <laughs> I wrote a book this week that I I liked a whole bunch. It was not a book I would have chosen, like is so often the best books on this show. It's not a book I would have like sought out by myself, but I was looking for banned books. I ran into this problem where it's like everything's been banned at some point or another, right? So like, how do you really choose? So I tried to find what is getting banned right now. Like when these little podunk um, school districts in Wisconsin or one of the thousand school districts in Texas get together and ban a book, what are they actually talking about? And this book is number two. Uh, it's written by a, uh, a non-binary person named George M. Johnson. Uh, as far as I can tell, he's, uh, I'm sorry, as far as I can tell, they are a writer. They worked as a journalist, went back to grad school, and then published this book. They're young. They're something like 33 years old when they wrote this book. And they talk um, in interviews about how audacious it feels to write a memoir of your experiences at 33 years old, how they were really <laughs> Uh, hesitant to do it because they that's thought a, that's like, swinging for the fences. Yeah, they're they're like, what do I really have to say? Like, what kind of well, wisdom am or, I supposed to give here? You know, leaving yourself room for a sequel. <laughs> that's of course, good. And yeah, that's or, a great point. This is Joe. This is a problem that you brought up with Prince Henry's Prince Harry's spare. Oh, you yeah. were you were you were commenting on how maybe maybe the difference is that the, a lot of stuff hasn't really happened to Pr- Prince Harry. But a lot of the stuff seems to have happened to George. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Like with George here, like a bunch of stuff has happened to them. Um, Memoirs, Nick, as you recall, are not the same as autobiography. They center entirely around one aspect of a person's life. And this entire book is a series of um, vignettes, essays about, hey, these are some formative experiences I had growing up a queer kid. Uh, And I think maybe they'll help you too, uh, dear other kid not the band okay whenever we bring a memoir we end up just talking about the author because talking about the memoir is basically the same thing so yeah. yep what what is interesting about like why does the author focus it's, it's not just what does the author say but what, what do they include and leave out you're like why do you why do you put in what you put in why do you leave out what you leave yeah. out um so i would agree with nick but i would i would sophisticate the, the point by by arguing that a memoir is an argument Ian, you are absolutely here to sophisticate my thoughts. <laughs> That's what I get paid for. Somebody Ian's like your to. own personal AI. So, okay, what's the argument, Joe? <laughs> well, okay, I didn't necessarily say it's an argument. This, this is what he. This is this is what George sets out to do. They say, look, there's a bunch of advice that I didn't get growing up. Like, I had to navigate this world by myself. I grew up in a hyper-masculine society where we didn't talk about, like, A, our feelings, where we certainly didn't talk about, like, like not being a straight young man, right? Um, and boy, wouldn't it have been nice if I would have had a mentor who could just tell me, hey, that stuff that's happening to you is super normal, right? Like, that's the sort of stuff that happened to me, too. Or, like, hey, that stuff that's happened to you is incredibly dangerous, and um, you need to do something about it, right? Um, Johnson sets out, and he explicitly says this, he sets out to be that mentor and friend for young guys who might be in this situation, for young kids who might be in this situation, who've been in vulnerable places like this. 
One of the coolest things this book does is every chapter is an anecdote, right? Every chapter is an anecdote where it's like, hey, let me tell you about this story, this a story about this time I was five years old and I got my teeth kicked out. Or like, let me tell you about the first time I was like molested, right? Which happens a couple times in this book. Every memoir, every anecdote that he tells, though, every little vignette that he weaves here at the end of it, he jumps in and it turns into a straight piece of advice for the person reading it where it says, look, this is what I wish I would have known right then. It, it's a really it, it, it was surprising. I've never seen a book do something like this before. It was it was formulaic. It was expected. Like it came at the end of every chapter after he would tell this anecdote and he'd be like, look, this is what I wish I would have known. This is what I could have done differently. This was this. And it, it's it's pretty cool. There's so many books that I've read in my life that have been important to me for some reason or another. But I always find that when a book is really important to me, it's because it's the right book at the right time in my life. I think this book could really be the right book for the right kid at the right time. Uh, George Johnson says his his audience is specifically queer black kids, right? That that is specifically who he is writing this for. I think if you could, if you got this book in the hands of the right kid, it would just be so validating and vindicating and reassuring, and I mean, just a million things. The stated reasons that this book gets banned is it is at times explicit isn't isn't the right word. Explicit isn't the right word. It is very frank Frank. when it talks about things like uh, masturbation, right? Like, hey, let me tell you about like masturbation when I was a kid and how I really struggled. Like I never thought of like gay sex when I masturbated because that would make me gay. Instead, I would imagine myself as a female version of myself having sex with boys that I thought were cute, right? And that felt okay to me, right? Like there's really frank discussions of things like that. There's a lot of eyebrows that just went up. (laughs) (laughs) I also think for my money, it's the most interesting uh, aspect of this book. I'm frequently drawn to books where it allows me to see inside of a world that I otherwise don't have access to. Now, usually these are books that like I kind of uh, usually these are worlds that I kind of want access to. That you're seeking out. I'm I'm seeking out. I want to know what it would be like to be a a homicidal uh, whaling captain. Exactly. Right. Or like I, I always think of J.D. Vance. Like I would like to know what it's like to go to Yale Law School. Like that seems like a really cool community to be a part of. Misrepresent my upbringing. Just misrepresent my upbringing. Right. Um, this gives you a peek into a world that I do not have access to. And I think it's a really frank and insightful peek into that world. Num- number one on the list of why reading is good. It takes you to worlds that you you would not have otherwise uh, experienced. So, Joe, uh, you are the, I think, polar opposite of the author here. Uh, what is something that you found like the most interesting reading this as somebody who probably yeah. doesn't know much about that world, I, I suppose, if that's what you want to call it? I thought what the author's experience was like figuring out their sexuality was really interesting. And they would tell stories of, hey, when I was a kid, all the boys played football at 
school. And even when I was a little kid, I was okay at football. If my friends begged me to play, I would play football, but I never liked playing football. The girls play like girls jumping rope and doing double Dutch though. That was like magnetic to me. He tells this story about how he would like eschew his friends playing football and double Dutch at recess. And like, that's fine. And like that maybe doesn't come across as so surprising. But the way he talks about how it just felt like a totally natural inclination that he would double Dutch instead of playing football, I thought was fascinating. He talks he talks about like when they would jump rope. Um they're they're kind of at an age where girls are developing and girls are starting to get chest. And it was really common for like girls jumping rope to hold their chest when they would jump rope, right? To put their hands over their chest. And he said, the girls with chest did it. The girls who were flat did it. So I started doing it too. And there's this great image of him double Dutch jump roping where he's got like both hands on his chest, double Dutch jump roping to presumably stop his breasts from bouncing. Right. Um, (laughs) And, and, I don't know. It's full of like great little moments like that. They, they talk about a lot of things. They talk about the total lack of representation of authority figures. Um, you sometimes don't know you exist until you learn that somebody like you has existed before. Um, how they never saw people like them as teachers or principals or like authority figures in the community. George Johnson comes from as accepting and open minded of a family as you could imagine here. Even in that totally supportive family, though, they had an incredibly hard time, like coming out to their family, coming out to their friends. It goes through like the coming out process. And it's like and it's 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 kind of shocking, right? Like with in a family filled with love and a family filled with open mindedness. Um, yeah, they have a hard time coming out. I don't think that's weird, but it's it was surprising, like even when the conditions are perfect. It's still so dang hard to do. So you've talked, I mean, and, and you you said that the uh, sexuality piece is kind of the most, um, it's it's the, the the thing that kind of catches your attention the most. What about like he's he's sorry they're writing they're writing specifically for queer black kids. So where does where does race affect this, and to what extent to what extent is is race making it more difficult or less? I don't know. Yeah. So race feels like a layer that's on top of this, right? Where it says, hey, every queer kid has a hard time with the things I'm talking about here. And every queer kid's experience is totally different. That layer of blackness, though, right, really adds a layer of complication to it, right? It's like another it's it's another like point in the triangulation where I say I come from a community. My family's open minded. Sure. But I come from a community in which like this stuff isn't talked about. Right. Like where there's no such thing as mental health in the black community when he's growing up. Right. There's no such thing as, um, you know, like black masculinity is masculine. masculine right. Things like that. Um, George has a lot of reflections on like what it's like to be black as well. Um, They talk about how the first day of black history month, which is uh, feeling genuinely important to them, right? Where it's like, Oh, all right, we're going to talk about black history. This is excellent. There's one point where he talks about Abraham Lincoln and this, if I could save the union speech, have you heard of this before? Let me, no, let me pull this up. Give me just a moment. This is just a small excerpt from it, but, um, But George talks about how, you know, they got the same education in Abraham Lincoln as all of us did. And like in the black community, Lincoln's seen as a pretty great guy, seen as a hero. But 
as they get older and they start studying history, they come across like a more complex figure of Lincoln than you would expect. Right. And there's this quote in here from a speech that Lincoln gave that says, um, my paramount object in this struggle is to save the union. It's not either to either to save or to destroy slavery. If I could save the union without freeing any slave, I would. And if oh, I could what? save it by free, and if I could free the and if I could free all, do it by freeing all the slaves, I would. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would do that. This is a quote from from an Abraham Lincoln speech. Interesting. I, I'm 37 years old. That's not a Lincoln I've ever heard of before. Oh, <laughs> right? wow. uh, that's there's that's taken out of context. <laughs> uh, not t- entirely, but there's more to that. I've heard that full speech before. It's more dynamic than that. It's about his role as the president of the United States and how his job isn't to his point of view is my my job isn't to end slavery. It's to keep this country together. It's to unite so it. that that that's his kind of platform. And that that was always his platform. If anybody thinks that Abraham Lincoln was this, you know, um, altruist who was trying to do this amazing thing. I mean, that that is what happened. But that was never his goal. Um, was to end slavery, but that that was the way forward. Yeah, Nick's been watching documentaries, guys. Guys, uh, I just crushed some Ken Burns recently. I, have one I don't more like thing this to new say. Nick who knows no. things. <laughs> oh man, Nick, you don't even need AI. All right, <laughs> um, <laughs> Joe. That's so nice. <laughs> All right, I got one more thing to say. Um, there is a. I alluded to it briefly before, and I think it was the most powerful thing in this book. Um, George writes an entire chapter about the first time he was sexually assaulted as a young boy. Right. And it's, and it's a really complex situation. It's, I was staying at my grandma's house. I was laying in bed with my cousin who was like four years older than me. And like, this is what happened. Right. He goes over how his cousin, like spooned him, how he like came up against him. I could feel his erection, how they went to a different room. Like he talks about what he did to his cousin, what his cousin did to him. And he talks about it like all the sex in this book. Frankly, the reflection that George writes about this is fascinating because I think it got you've heard before that when, um, for example, like when somebody gets raped, we get like almost like a survivor's guilt about it. You feel like guilty when you get sexually assaulted. Have you heard this before? George Johnson gets into that guilt and what a tremendously, um, what a tremendously complex feeling he had after this experience with his cousin. He was like, look, like this thing happened with my cousin and I did not want it to happen with my, like, like I did not want this to happen. Like this was foisted upon me. Right. But I was also like a young kid struggling with my sexuality and it was like exciting. And it was like thrilling in a way that like an experience had never been thrilling for me before. And I felt dirty about it and I hated it. But honestly, most of my ickiness at the time came not from the fact that it was like a gay sexual experience that I didn't want, but that it was my cousin. Right. And and like they they go into like the, the complexity of this. And I thought it was insightful. I thought it was raw. I thought it was super frickin honest in a way that like a lot of times these things get um they're talked about in in a veiled way, I think, frequently. They're talked about in like an obscure way frequently. And this was not that. I thought the entire book was reading worth reading for that chapter alone. 
I thought it was a cool book. It is a book I would not have sought out on my own had we not been looking for banned books. And like so many banned books, I, I thought it was a book that was super worth reading. I already, I already forgot the name of your book. Looking for Alaska. Great. And what is that about? Um, so my book is... Um, Ian, tell us what that's about. I'm not, I'm not really into like comparing, comparing bandness, but my book, I would say, is probably less banned than, than Joe's. Um, my book has prompted some pretty hardcore outcry, uh, but I would say it's much more in the sort of representation realm than the advice realm. Um, it's, it's as pretty, like the story is, like I said, in my, my 30 seconds, pretty straightforward. There's a, we have a main character who is our point of view character, Miles and Miles falls in love with a girl. And, um, it's kind of a, will they, won't they situation. And then something terrible happens and then he has to deal with it. He has to deal with, with that. And that's like, that is, that is, those are the rough outlines of the story. It's kind of a coming of a, a buildings Roman. Oh, <laughs> I think it's very exciting when he hears songs that he's heard before. Yes. Reading buildings Roman, reading this book, this like in, wow. in the past couple of weeks, it felt weird because parts of it felt so familiar and, and um, yeah, familiar is the, is a good word. Like, like when you, you take a walk, you've taken a hundred times before you, you can almost do it on autopilot, but it, the, 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 the material that it was couched in and the thoughtfulness with which it was presented and the way, what it was used for with what, what John Green uses this story to say, that's the really cool part of it. So it's about being a, being a teenager and being kind of in simultaneously the best years and the worst years of your life. Um, it's about getting older and realizing like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not immortal. It's about remembering the past. And is there a bear chapter? A Anything bear. about bears? Oh, bear. oh we got to talk about Alaska. Okay. Alaska uh, is not a place. Oh, well, this is Alaska like, is a place. Okay. No. So, been lied to the ma- mainstream media wants you to know, <laughs> wants you to think there's a place called Alaska, but it's, it's a lie. Real. Birds aren't real. No, Alaska is the name of uh, the, the, the woman, the young woman that our main character miles falls in love with. And her name is Alaska because when she was young, uh, her parents were like, okay, she didn't like her name. And they're like, okay, fine. You don't like your name. Choose your own name. And she said, Alaska. And it, she, they, they let her keep it because she had a good reason for it. But the, the first half of the book is sort of miles trying to learn who Alaska is. And then the second half of the book after this tragedy strikes, he's trying to figure out like, um, how he how he misunderstood her and and who she really is so you kind of like kind of we have this big reset point and i'm gonna talk about this in a bit this big reset point in the middle of this tragedy um and the whole book is kind of divided it is a really cool stylistic thing before and after so it has two chapters chapter one is called before chapter two is called after um, wow two chapter book nick yeah chapter one short. The, chapter one before <laughs> is broken down into six um, pages no, it's broken down into sections listed by time before the event. So 136 days before. Okay, well, s- somebody's dying. And There's so somebody's dying. Right. So, so, Joe, so what do you it's think a countdown, happened? right? I think a countdown is a good narrative device. I, oh, think, yeah. I think it really keeps you turning pages. Especially because you're, if you look at the table of contents, you realize that after mm-hmm. chapter two starts 
kind of maybe about two thirds through the book. And so like, okay, so there's got to be some kind of after and you don't know what you're counting down to, but it probably isn't good. Like you usually you not, you don't imagine it's going to be good in a book like this. And, and John Green's subsequent books, which are all about like sad teenagers. And he built, he modeled this off of kind of the way we think about um, 9-11. So he wrote this kind of around uh, in, in the years before and after 9-11. And he kind of had some big painful thoughts about the way that the way that we mark time around that traumatic event. And I think while this is a little bit dated now, that's 20 years ago. Um, now we talk about pre-COVID and post-COVID. And I think this this thing of where you you, you imagine the, the life before the trauma was beautiful and perfect. And then life after is just all hard, sad and difficult. And you're coping nonstop. This is this is an exploration of of those hinge points in our lives and, and how we how we exist in the world around both sides of them. OK, so how are we supposed to talk about this? Because we can't talk about the thing that happens because way nope. too deep in the book. No. So, and I'm guessing everything builds off of that. Is this no, just not really. should we just no. talk about, you know, this what is a Netflix character shows we're watching? This is a mm. character study. So one of the cool things about this, this book is how kind of like I said, wholesome, but also funny. Like it's really funny. A big part of this book is pranks. They're at this. Love this pranks. <laughs> pranks, pranks, pranks. That's why I read books. Boarding school. Get some good prank ideas. <laughs> They're at a boarding school in Alabama where it's super hot and there's not much to do. And so they play epic pranks. So the book is like simultaneously deeply like sad and really, really funny. Um, really engaging. Not just like you're, you're kind of feeling like, oh, man, that's hard. But also, uh, I can't believe they just did that. And he narrates the pranks with kind of the. It's, it's almost like you're you're in a movie kind of experience or, or a video game like it's more like a video game. You you experience the prank as it's unfolding. You don't know what it's going to be like. It's really, really engaging and enjoyable. Um, the other character piece that's kind of fun and, and weird and cool is um, that the the main character, Miles, um, his big thing, he says everyone has a thing that they, they know everything about. His mm-hmm. big thing is last words. So oh, he right. knows a bunch of people's famous people. Last words. And you, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's going to be foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, then in green, these are all historically accurate. Green weaves them in and sometimes they're for comedic relief and sometimes they're for kind of a thematic foreshadowing. Uh, I just I'll just give you a couple of them because this was this. one of the guilty pleasures of reading this book. Um, Dylan Thomas, just before he died, said, I've had 18 straight whiskeys. I do believe that's a record. And then he healed <laughs> over. Um, there was a, a general in the Civil War who is pointing out some enemy snipers. And he said, they're, they're, be careful, General, be careful, they're snipers. And he's like, they couldn't hit an elephant from this disc. And then he was shot. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Got right. It's a good one. And then my favorite, um, this is from the from the book, when Millard Fillmore, the most, one of the most um, boring presidents of the United, <laughs> United States, was dying. He was super hungry, but his doctor was trying to starve his fever or whatever. Fillmore wouldn't shut up, shut up about wanting to eat, though. So finally, the doctor gave him a tiny teaspoon of soup and all sarcastic. Fillmore said the nourishment is palatable and then died. Famous last words are one of these topics where it's like, I don't know how to explain them. They're very attractive. Oh, they're they're very good because you want you want them to mean something big Mm. or cool. Yeah, you want them to be the like the the mic drop moment on a a life lived epically. What's the last cool thing you're going to say? Right, right. Yeah. And especially when we, it's somebody who has said good, like cool things mm-hmm. throughout their lives. So like when a poet yeah. or somebody has famous last words. 
Um, supposedly, uh, Oscar Wilde, who appeared on the very first episode of this yeah. podcast, um, in a picture of Dorian Gray, <laughs> Oscar Wilde supposedly complained about the wallpaper in his room before he died. But that seems this is an example of one that is more of apocryphal um, because mm-hmm. uh, evidence suggests he actually said that a couple of days before he passed away. The point yeah. is, but he was still pretty pissed about it when he died. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. may be the reason you don't do stripes and dots. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> this book is is not just a uh, a kind of a sad book about um people about teenagers dealing with trauma it's legitimately enjoyable to read and it makes you think and it makes you have big feelings it kind of checks a lot of boxes why is this band yeah so i was gonna get to that this is the thing the the bands that i found for it uh largely pointed out how it was too depressing uh, this was the, we can't have children reading this <laughs> it'll make them sad the um the uh the oh, person we don't who, who be requested sad. this band well yeah exactly um the person who requested this this band that i found um had also requested 42 bands on uh, board bands on 42 other popular books um usually misspelling the authors and or titles of the books uh, the library was like we don't have time to deal with this so they just went ahead and banned them um, oh god <laughs> It'd be easier trouble. to it'd be easier to ban them. Mm-hmm. Well, I, obviously, as opposed to you know somebody starts a, a ruckus. But I think the bigger thing is that um, this book has a pretty explicit sexual encounter in it, um, and and I think Frank is a good word. This is the word that I kind of independently came up with. I'm not just copying from Joe. But um, uh, this this aroused a lot of criticism because it's you know it's it's underage people and it's a depiction of their uh, sexual contact, and that's like folks are like what why should our kids read this um so great the, the cool thing about this is that green has engaged with this controversy uh, and i have a quote from him uh his his reflection on this this passage um he says the whole reason that scene in question exists in looking for alaska is because i wanted to draw a contrast between that very explicit scene where there is a lot of physical intimacy but it is ultimately very emotionally empty and the scene that immediately follows it where there is not a serious physical interaction, but there's this intense emotional connection. So Green is kind of using this. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting moment of him using um, kind of explicit physical sexual material to sort of condemn empty physical sexual contact when it's just about, you know, sensation. He's saying that's less. Sensation. That's, that's oh, like man. that's like this is um, a nasty episode getting real poor. That's that's mm-hmm. that that has that is that is that is more poverty than yeah. um, emotional fulfilling emotional interaction. And so he actually would agree with probably the banners or the banners would agree with him that sort of just throwing in some gratuitous sex is not desirable. The thing is, he's saying I'm using this to make a point about the risks of, you know, just um, just pursuing sensation. Um, I I did some sort of uh, external research this week. And I talked to a director of a small uh, a, a small library system in rural California, um, I, and I asked him like about this whole book banning thing and um, libraries being targeted. Um, you see it quite frequently: um, counties and sta- uh, cities voting to close their libraries or dramatically do budget cuts. I just saw the city of Milwaukee is going to be closing a bunch of its branches because of budget cuts and, and, and fiscal issues. Um, and also for political reasons. So I asked him, I asked him what his thoughts were on this. And 
Um, if I could, I'll just kind of read what he has to say and then I'll be done. Is that okay? This is my, this is my activist corner. So and my, and my, my cause here, I, I will be banned for this because I'm being an activist. My cause here is help your local library. So I asked, um, I asked that this, this, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry, I am saying library. I should be saying truthberry because Truth as we know, the word library yeah. has lie in it and we don't want to associate that word with these wonderful visionary places. Um, so he said, when I, when I asked him about, about these trends, he said, sadly, smaller libraries become targets when unhappy people are influenced by their preferred news stores, stories, stories about quote unquote, woke library books or programs in an unrelated city or state can have the result of people coming down on their near local library. And sometimes smaller libraries don't have the staff or budget to be woke, even if they wanted to be city and county governments are always looking for ways to balance budgets. And usually libraries and museums are the first institutions to be cut. And so if you accuse them of being woke, even if that's kind of an empty threat, that makes the cut more palatable to some people. So I asked him, okay, cool. What do I do as a, as a, as a (laughs) civilian, as a, as a lay reader to just to support my local library. And he gave four action items. So let heads, here you go. Here are your four action items. One, One. join a supportive group, like the friends of the library. Most libraries have, we're out of time. (laughs) Libraries, (laughs) library support, uh, uh, organizations. If you don't know whether your library has one, you can ask at the counter and they will tell you. Yes. Um, try to get to know your librarian. This is number two, uh, or at least some of the library staff, ask them how you can help ask them who are decision makers, governing bodies. Um, is there a board, a commission, a council that can approve the library, uh, library budget people in the community that you can put pressure on. Um, you can show up to meetings and, and so on and so forth. Speaking of which, um, number three, email or write to uh, your local governing body, library's local governing body, board, commission, whatever. Let them know that you value the library and its services. If decision makers, read politicians, don't hear from people about how much they appreciate their library, they will likely just vote with the trend. Politicians have egos, so thank them for the wonderful support they've given mm-hmm. to the library in the past. Be specific Start about programs boots, that helped heads. you. <laughs> um, give them credit for good things. If have you been working out, Mister Council? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know there's a new gym at the library? Um, if if um, the politicians have never received feedback, they will assume the service in question is not important and it's an easy cut. And number four. Um, for library directors and then and these kinds of decision makers, heads of libraries, if they go to budget hearings, study sessions, these kinds of things, they appreciate having supportive people there to speak up if needed. Meetings of these uh, governing bodies are usually open to the public. So if you want to support your local library, these are the four things. Join a supportive group, get to know your librarian, email or write to the local governing body and show up at town halls, show up at budget meetings. These are open to the public and Uh, exert some pressure in favor of your local library. Gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany is a safe place for you to tell me all the terrible things about your book and it won't be held against you. Joe, go first. Oh no! Really rip into this. I thing. never. I always forget to Get prepare for it. This is like Brett becomes air again. You have to apologize before you rip into it. No, I, 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 I don't. I, I really did enjoy this book. Boy, if there was something I didn't like about it, it would be. Nick, I didn't prepare for Tiffany's. I'm so sorry. I'm sure there's things I didn't like about this All book, right. but I read it like a week, week ago. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it was great. <laughs> you should read it. 
flawless book from Joe. Ian, uh-huh. <laughs> this book has a lot of smoking in it. And while I am just fine, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just fine with a lot. Like there's so much smoking and like Maybe good characters. Maybe it should be banned. I get well, it. Well, I don't think cool. that's a reason to ban it, but is smoking cool, Ian? Well, smoking no, cigarettes is. Thank Joe. I smoking cigarettes looks awesome. Obviously, that's true, Joe. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's my <laughs> Tiffany's. There's the, the smoking. There was enough smoking that at a certain point I was like, okay, this is. I, it was written in 2005. It's a different time, but still, ugh. John Green is one enough. Ian, you lose. Yeah, he does. It everything does seem to come up John Green all the time. Bloodheads, if you would like to support our podcast, you can do so by. Uh, bouncing over to you don't know lit podcast.com where you can uh, request a book. And Ian, Ian, if if the lit heads too, if they if they want to write a book and then submit that, that could be. Yes, a, yes. Mm-hmm. That's also an um, option we don't talk about enough. You could just write a book. Uh, like and subscribe on all of the podcast players of your choice. You can find us on social media, all the channels that matter, all the platforms that matter and some that don't. Most importantly, Litheads, you can share, I can spread our reach by telling a bookish friend. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell other people who are like you, who are similar, who are similar to you about um, how they should listen to it as well. Congratulations to George M. Johnson. I was going to say congratulations to uh, our, our band podcast. Oh, this, this, this podcast is now this illegal podcast in 27 has states. Been bad. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's good. I think people should read banned books. This actually came up in my AP class today, and we talked about banned books as a as a piece of evidence for an argument. And it just struck me that if somebody is interested in banning a book, I think it's just such a vote of confidence that you probably should read it. Like, it's probably worth reading. All right. I've got something from the afterword of George Johnson's book, um, and they are talking about the value of reading this book and, and why they ultimately wrote it. And they write... There were no books for me to read in order to understand what I was going through as a kid. There were no heroes or icons to look up to and emulate. There were no roadmaps or guidelines for the journey. And again, because I know there wasn't and still isn't much out there, I made it my original goal to get this right. In working on this book, I brought to life a lot of stories involving a black family dynamic that isn't often talked about. A family that's queer affirming while still learning about and navigating difficult spaces. I released the deepest and darkest things about my past in the hopes that someone might see a reflection of themselves in the words and know that they are not alone and they too can grow and thrive. And so that they may not take the many missteps that I took along the road. But the most valuable thing I hope this book will teach others, as it has taught me, is that there isn't always a solution. That sometimes things just end the way that they end. That some processes are always going to be an ongoing thing. That the five-year-old me wasn't the 15-year-old me, wasn't the 25-year-old me, and won't be the future me. There are just some things I don't have the answer to. But I have my story. That story has now been told. So if nothing else, we now have a start. (laughs) 